Heavenly Father, I am not a worthy mouthpiece for you. I need your supernatural grace today. And Lord, we are not worthy listeners. We need your supernatural grace to touch our hearts. Need you to speak through me. Need you to be the one to speak into our hearts. Let this be above everything else. Let it be your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. reading this great book about one of my heroes, Abraham Lincoln, and uh, it was reminding me, it's one of the, I've read lots of books about him, I'm kind of obsessed with him, uh, it was reminding me in the year of 1862, you know, we, we, we think of the results of the Civil War, and uh, the, the final victory, and the freeing of the slaves, and, uh, and, and so on, and, and, and that's all exciting, but we forget that in the middle of the war, in those middle years, it was very bleak, very dark. There was no guarantee of victory and that things were going to go well uh, for, <laughs> for uh, the Union or for anybody. And, uh, and 1862 was maybe Lincoln's lowest year. The beginning of that year in February of 1862, his middle son, Willie, uh, died of typhoid fever right, right there in the White House. And uh, and then his second, or his, his youngest son, Tad, was also sick with the same thing and was on the verge of death. And they thought for, for months he was going to die. And then they had loss after loss after loss on the battlefield. And he had this general, General McClellan, who wasn't doing what he was supposed to do and, and wasn't fighting. And, <laughs> and, it, and it just looked like things were not going well. And in those darkest times, interestingly, uh, Lincoln, who had had, uh, had sort of a Kind of a nominal faith up till that point. Somewhere in the middle of that darkest, darkest hour, he uh, he began to discover a, a living faith in in God. Uh, <clears throat> so anyway, that's a, a different story. But it, it reminded me of uh, the message I started last week: um, strengthen yourself in the Lord. And uh, in this, let's see, got this guy here. There we go. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. Um, last week, I talked a lot about how King David was at his lowest point. He wasn't even king yet. He'd been on the run from King Saul for years, had been hiding in various places, uh, and, and uh, on the very border of Israelite territory was this town of Ziklag, and, uh, uh, and, and uh, unbeknownst to him, uh, there, there, uh, King Saul was, was fighting a, a, a battle that was going to be his last battle, but David didn't know that at the time. So David thought it was just going to be more persecution from Saul. And, uh, and, and, and then a horrible thing happened. Let me, let me just uh, remind us of what that was. If you could turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 1 through 6. Uh, then it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had carried out an attack on the Negev and on Ziklag, and had overthrown Ziklag and burned it with fire. And they took captive the women and all who were in it, from the small to the great, without killing anyone, and drove them off and went their way. When David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives 
and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and his people who were with him raised their voices and they wept until there was no strength in them to weep. Has anyone ever been in that place? You've wept until there's no strength to weep. You don't even have strength to cry. There's no tears left. You're completely dry. That's where David and his men were in that moment. In verse 5, now David's two wives have been taken captive, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the widow of Nabal the Carmelite. Also, now you, you think it can't get any worse. The worst has happened to him. And then verse 6, also David was in great distress because the people spoke of stoning him. For all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and daughters. So just like we humans do, instead of uh, directing their anger at the enemies, they direct their anger at their own leaders. We do that all the time. And uh, that was happening to David. David wasn't the cause of the problem, but, uh, but, but his own men were approaching him. Many of them probably had stones in their hand. They were ready to toss the stones right at David and try to end his life. And then verse 6 ends with this. But... David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now, I want to know, and I think each of us needs to know, needs to learn, how did David strengthen himself in the Lord? If you haven't had your Ziklag moment in life yet, or several Ziklag moments, you will. <clears throat> in fact, you and I are probably going to all have several Ziklag moments in our life. And in those Ziklag moments, not only has the worst thing happened, but we don't have the strength to deal with it in those Ziklag moments. We, that's when we weep until we don't even have strength left to weep. Da David, it's not like David had some kind of inner strength that the other men didn't have at this point. He was right along with them weeping till he wasn't able to weep any longer. And you and I, if you, if you haven't had that experience yet, we're going to have that experience. And if you have had that experience, there's no guarantee you're not going to have the experience again. And so you and I need to learn how to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. So uh, last week we took a look at Psalm 31. Psalm 31. This week we're going to take a look at a couple of other psalms that David wrote. And I think we'll find some clues in there for how David strengthened himself in the Lord. So the, the first psalm... We're going to turn to, well, before I say that, just, let me just say, the, the reason we're looking at the Psalms is, you know, David wrote a lot of these Psalms, and uh, 11 of the Psalms name precisely the situation David was facing. Uh, it, none of them specify Ziklag as one of the situations where he wrote, where he wrote a response to with a Psalm. Uh, but it's a really good guess that at least one of those Psalms was one that he wrote at Ziklag, or soon thereafter. 
because that's how David responded. That, that's how, how David dealt with the pressure and the stress in his life, which he had a whole lot of. Uh, but he dealt with that by writing these psalms. These, the, there were songs, and there were poems and songs, and he would sing them. And, uh, and, and, and that's how he strengthened himself in the Lord. So each of the psalms that he wrote gives us an insight, a clue into how he strengthened himself in the Lord. So the first psalm we're going to look at is Psalm 23. So if you could turn there with me. And again, I don't, we don't know if he was writing Psalm 23 in response to uh, Ziklag specifically, but it's, it's a good guess. <clears throat> and as I read this, and as you read along, pay attention to how David clung to different truths about God. Because that's, that's what we need to learn how to do, is cling to different truths about God when, when we don't have enough strength in us to weep, even, to even weep. Uh, how did David cling to those truths? And, and how did he do it against the evidence? The evidence, especially at Ziklag, was that he was about to die. Everything he'd worked for and lived for was ruined and gone and destroyed. Uh, all, all of the prophecies about him becoming the next king, that was all rubbish. It was all dead. Uh, but David clung to some truths about God against the evidence that was in front of him at that moment. How did David do that? So Psalm 23, starting in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I will not be in need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for the sake of his name. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil and my cup overflows. Certainly goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. and My dwelling will be in the house of the Lord forever. Now, I could preach a couple sermons on every one of these lines, every one of these verses. Every verse deserves a couple sermons, uh, several sermons. In fact, there are whole books, if you've never looked into this, there are whole books on just the 23rd Psalm. There's whole books on specific lines of the 23rd Psalm. So, forgive me for not preaching an entire sermon on every single line, which it deserves. Forgive me now, I'm, 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 I'm probably each of you has a favorite verse here from this Psalm that I'm not gonna highlight today. So forgive me ahead of time for that. There's, there's a couple of the, the lines here I do wanna highlight though. Partly because the Lord has used them so powerfully in my life of late. Verse four. Even though 
I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Okay, embarrassing story. I know it's embarrassing because my wife thinks I'm absolutely crazy doing this, but uh, I, I, I'd, I'd read online somewhere that it's, it's healthy to take cold showers, and I was thinking about it for a year. I was like, oh, I don't want to do that. So finally, I was like, I'll just try it. So I tried a cold shower. I lasted maybe three seconds, maybe four. Uh, but um, but uh, I, I, I quoted I, I, this line, this exact line, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. And uh, <laughs> because well, what, I, what I was doing, and, 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 and since then I've, I've kept trying to take the cold showers and each day just increase them a second or two, sometimes going backwards to two seconds. But anyway, <clears throat> just little by little, and, uh, and, and what I'm doing in that is I'm, I'm practicing trusting God being with me in the face of challenge and difficulty. I'm, 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 it's almost, you know, fasting is like practice suffering. And uh, a cold shower can be sort of practice suffering. And it's not just suffering for the sake of suffering. It's so that I'm, what I'm doing is I'm practicing trusting God's goodness and his presence with me even when something difficult and painful is happening to me. That makes sense. And I, I think whether you don't have to take cold showers or fast or anything, you don't have to do any of that crazy stuff. Because uh, as my wife says, I am crazy for that. Uh, you don't have to do any of that. But do, I would encourage you to do something that sort of puts yourself in a sort of a challenging place and then cling on to the, a truth like this while you are facing that challenge. Does that, does that make sense? Because what, what I'm learning then in the real world, what happens, uh, something difficult happens to me, and this verse will click in. And, uh, oh, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Okay? It clicks in automatically if you've been practicing. All right. But something I want to highlight about, about this, you know, um, when someone is in a valley, they lose perspective. The sun has lost its clarity. There is shadow around you. And, uh, and, and, and that is when we most need to cling to God being present with us. That's, that's when we most need to hold on to that truth. Now, again, I don't, I don't know if David was referring to Ziklag when he wrote this, but uh, he had learned, whether through Ziklag or through some other situation, that even when he's in the darkest place, even when he's lost perspective, even when the way forward is not clear. You know, when you're up on a mountaintop, you can see the road and where it goes. And, uh, but when you're in a valley, you don't know what's around the next bend. You don't know what's coming. Uh, so not only do you lose perspective, but you, it's easy to lose direction in a valley. And David had learned somehow, whether it's through Ziklag or through other ways, he had learned to hold on to this reality that God is with him when he was in the valley. Um, one other line I want to highlight from this verse, or one other verse from this passage. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil, my cup overflows. Now, this is a hospitality image from the ancient Near East. In the ancient Near East, 
when someone showed hospitality to somebody else, they would welcome them uh, into their presence, and they would take a little bit of oil, which was a symbol of healing. It was a symbol of welcome. It was a symbol of prosperity. And they would take a little bit of oil, and they would anoint their head with oil when they would welcome them into their presence. That's what guests, you know, we don't do that today because you mess up somebody's makeup. But, uh, but back in those days, you didn't worry about that. You'd anoint a guest's head with oil. And so David here is saying uh, that he's been welcomed into the presence of God. In, he, he's, he's been uh, shown this beautiful table of feasting, uh, and he's been welcomed into his presence. And then, and then there's this image of the cup overflowing. So th that's the image of, uh, you know, the guest has a, has a, uh, a cup that they're drinking from, and, and uh, the, the host keeps pouring more wine into the cup over and over. So you drink one, then pour another, drink another, drink, and, the, and it just keeps flowing. There isn't a, a point at which the, 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 the host says, I think you've had enough, or I don't really have much left. They, they keep pouring over and over and over again, and, and that's the image David has here. What is so startling to me about this image, though, is in, for David, he knew that this table was laid before him in the presence of his enemies. So we like to think that if God is going to lay, if God's actually laying a table for me, if he's actually welcoming me into his presence, that means there's no challenges on the horizon. There's no difficulties to face. There's no temptations I have to fight through. There's no... Uh, hardships that I'm going to suffer. We want, this, we want this pure Disneyland experience where we get the VIP uh, pass and we go right to the front of the line and there's no challenges, there's no crying kids that day. Uh, it's just pure, un unadulterated happiness and joy. David knew, though, that the table is set in the presence of his enemies. That means the people who were against him, the people who were fighting him, were right there while he was feasting. So maybe during Ziklag, while David's own men, you know, he just lost his wives and, and children. He, uh, everyone else had lost their wives and children. Everything had been burned. Everything had been stolen. And his own men are turning on him. They've got stones in their hand, ready to stone him. In that moment, did David get down on his knees and say, there's, there's stones about to come at me, but God, I thank you. Somehow there's a table here. There's a table here in the presence of my enemies. Uh, one of the images, one of the ways God bl uh, burned this image into my head many years ago, uh, for the first decade or so of living in, in uh, my house, um, my neighbor uh, to the uh, west of me has, a, a, between us, now we have this big, tall fence, but uh, we had a chain-link fence that you could, you could see through into the other, other side. And they had this huge, loud dog. Dino the dog. He was huge. He was like a bear. And he was so loud. He was so loud. Uh, anyway, won't get into all that. But when we would walk from the back door to our garage, uh, and we have a detached uh, garage. We have one of those old houses. We'd walk from the back door to the garage, and uh, with our kids, uh, Dino would see us, and he would charge up to the fence, barking with this huge, loud bark. Well, my children would just become paralyzed. They would just freak out. They, they heard the sound of the dog coming. They saw the dog rushing at them, 
and they would just freak out. And so it was always this, and that's actually why we, we stopped parking in the garage and we started parking in our front because we knew it was too much of a hassle to get from the back door to the garage uh, without our kids just losing it. Uh, but one of the things God showed me one day, he reminded me, there is a chain link fence between Dino the dog and me and my kids. And that chain link fence prevents Dino. He was a big dog, but he wasn't big enough to get through the chain link fence. He wasn't big enough to climb over it or anything. The chain link fence stopped him. And I bet David somehow knew that even with the stones in the hands of his own men about to kill him, somehow David had, had learned that there is a chain link fence. They didn't have chain link fence back then. There was something, there was a barrier, an invisible barrier between him and his enemies, and only what the Lord permitted was going to actually come through and hurt him. And when my wife and I began to figure this out about the chain link fence, and we began to, you know, gently try to assure our small children that it, we were going to survive, even with Dino barking at us, you know, that's when we could begin to have uh, our, our, our meals out in the back, uh, enjoy our backyard. That's when we could start feasting in the presence of our enemies, okay? And you and I need to learn how to do this. You and I need to learn how to feast in the presence of our enemies, even with our enemy barking at us and rushing at us and snarling at us, we need to be able to, to say, say, just like David did, there's a feast here. There's a feast somewhere here. I, maybe I can't quite see it, or maybe I'm sort of paralyzed with the, the bark at first, so I can't, I can't quite see it. But somehow there's a feast, and I'm going to start feasting. Um, this, uh, uh, I, I mentioned last week that uh, my wife and I have been facing a set of very difficult challenges, and, and one of them, sort of one of the lowest points of all, we, we, um, we just lay there one night and we just started rehearsing how even in that day, even in that lowest moment, God had shown up. We, we may not have recognized it at first, we may not have sort of seen, oh, that's God, but there was some provision of this, uh, some provision of that, some way we were protected over here, some kind word we'd heard over here, we, we, we began to rehearse to ourselves the way, the, the, the table that the Lord had laid out for us in the presence of our enemies. And if you and I want to become mature Christians, you and I need to learn how to feast in the presence of our enemies. <clears throat> I'm going to wrap up Psalm 23 this final line, surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's so interesting that this, David here switches from a hospitality image to a hunting image. That phrase, follow me, that's actually borrowed from, in ancient Hebrew, that's the word they would use when the hunters were chasing down their game. That that actually means, and David somehow knew this, that means that God is chasing you down with goodness and loving kindness. It's not just this passive, like, yeah, if you're good at the end of life, you get some rewards of some goodness and loving kindness. No, he is chasing you and me down. Next time you're in the presence of your enemies, 
cling on to a truth like this, that God is chasing you down with goodness and loving kindness. All right. We're going to switch to the second psalm here. And uh, that psalm is Psalm 13. And Psalm 13 has ministered very deeply to me over the years because in Psalm 13, David just writes a, a full expression of what depression is really like. And I, I've told you this before, but I, I've had a lifelong uh, struggle and challenge with depression and anxiety. And uh, this last year, I'm afraid, uh, it was uh, maybe my worst in a decade. Uh, and so I spent many hours in Psalm 13 clinging to, to the truths there. And, and, and the first several verses of Psalm 13 so accurately express the struggle with depression. So if you could read that with me. Psalm 13. How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, and light my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. But I, but I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully. With me. Again, we don't, we don't know if David was talking about Ziklag here, but I wouldn't be surprised after years and years of running from Saul, being an outcast, David here was facing the, the possibility that all that running had actually been for nothing. Not only had everything been stolen and lost, he was about to be killed by the hands of his very own men. But in the, and, 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 and how, how easily David would have had to say, how long, O oh Lord? Why is this, you could have handled this whole thing so differently, God. You could have made this so much faster. You should, uh, there's so many ways that you could have defeated my enemies so much more quickly and easily. How long, O oh Lord, how long is this going to take? And this sense that his enemies have been exalted over him and, and, and it feels like that exaltation of his enemies is going to last forever. Maybe it was in that moment that David said, but I have trusted in your loving kindness. 
my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Your faith and my faith is not built up and strengthened by easy times, by good times. The faith that God is really after in you and me, the faith he wants to develop, the faith he wants to make like the faith of Jesus, like the faith of David, that faith is developed when you and I are in the darkest, hardest places. And it says in 1 Peter that God considers that faith that he is developing. He, it is more precious than gold. Do you want faith more precious than gold? Okay, about three of you said yes. The rest of you, I understand. I didn't want it at first either. Do you want faith more precious than gold? Then even when you have to say, how long, O Lord? You and I need to learn how to say, but I have trusted in your loving kindness. You and I need to learn how to choose in that darkest place to rejoice in God's salvation. You and I need to choose. I, I, I don't see the salvation right now. I'm still in the middle of the darkness. But I'm going to choose to rejoice in the salvation. Some of you are all like, yeah, I'll rejoice when things get better. I'll rejoice when my enemies go away. I'll rejoice when the pressure is off. That's when I'm going to rejoice. No. You and I need to learn how to rejoice right now in our salvation while we're in the darkness. Verse 6, David says, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. I will sing to the Lord because he's dealt bountifully with me. You and I need to learn how to sing in the darkness. And if you haven't yet had that experience where you choose singing, you choose rejoicing in the darkness, I, I guarantee you that will be the moment that you will feel the closest, you will feel closer to the Lord than you've ever felt before when you choose to sing to him. You choose to rejoice in him in the middle of the darkness. Now, some of you are going to object. You're going to say, but, Pastor Andrew, the Lord hasn't dealt bountifully with me. My car is broken. My mortgage payment is behind. I, or I don't have a mortgage payment. Or I don't have a car. Or I'm sick in my body. Or all these things are falling apart in my life. God hasn't dealt bountifully with me. Did you know that Jesus is God's loving kindness to you? If you feel like you don't have the loving kindness of God to trust in, and you haven't yet experienced Jesus, because Jesus is the loving kindness of God. And if you have experienced Jesus, if you know him, if you've been reconciled to him, if you've been made his friend, if you've gone from being his enemy to his friend, 
then the loving kindness of God is in your life. And that loving kindness that he's given you through Jesus Christ is better than a working car, than an on-time mortgage payment, than health in your body. The loving kindness of God through Jesus Christ is a greater, better gift than all of those things. Jesus is God's salvation. You say, I, I don't know how to rejoice in your salvation. I, I, I feel so unsaved right now. My life doesn't look any different, doesn't feel any different from the lives of the people who reject you. How, how is that? Jesus is God's salvation. If you know Jesus, you have been saved. That means your worst problem in the world I know you, right now some of you are thinking, my worst problem is this headache I have. This worst problem I, I have is you preaching. <laughs> my worst problem I have is, is uh, that I, my car is on the fritz. That's my, no, your worst problem was your sin that separated you from God and kept you from walking with you, from him and knowing him for eternity and consigned you to an eternity without God. That is your worst problem. God took it away when Jesus came to earth and died for your sins. Jesus is the salvation of God. Some of you are still saying, but God hasn't dealt bountifully with me. Where's my million dollars? Where's my hundred dollars? Where, where, where's the, the abundance I'm supposed to have? Jesus is God's bountiful dealings with you. Jesus is the bountiful. If, if you have been given Jesus... You have more wealth than the richest man in the, that the world has ever known. You have more wealth. If you know Jesus, you have been given the greatest, highest, best, most glorious wealth in, in, in the entire universe. There's, there's a phrase Paul writes in, in Romans chapter 8 where, where he says, uh, he says uh, that, um, if God did not spare his own son, how much more will he not spare all things? And the logic of that is, by giving you his son, God has given you the best, the highest, the most, the greatest. Some of you think, oh, if I could just have this amount of money, or this job, or this title, or then my life would be better. No, God has dealt bountifully with you by giving you Jesus. Back, back to Psalm 23. Jesus is God's good shepherd. Like, I, I, don't know, I don't know how to make my way forward. I don't know how to, I know God's calling me to something else, another pasture land, but I don't know how to get there. Jesus is the good shepherd who will get you to that better pasture land. He's the good shepherd who's gonna, who, who, who hovers over you when you're sick and heals you and blesses you. He's the good shepherd who, who knows how to make you lie down in green pastures where you can be refreshed. He is the good shepherd who restores your soul. You think, but I've lost everything. I've lost everything, Pastor Andrew. Jesus is the good shepherd who will restore everything to you. Jesus is God's right pathway through the shadow of death. You know, I, I don't know how to get through this shadow of death. I'm, I'm in the shadow of death. I don't know how to get through it. I'm in the valley, the depth of the valley. I, I've lost perspective. I can't see the light. I don't know what's around the next turn. Jesus is that pathway. He's the one who takes you by the hand. And even when you can't see what the next step is, he takes you the next step 
into that better place. Some of you are saying, but God hasn't shown me the hospitality. Where is the table before me in the presence of my enemies? Okay, okay, maybe it's going to be in the presence of my enemies, but where is the table? Jesus is God's hospitality. Jesus is the table. He said, if, if you will come to me and eat of me and drink of me, you will never be hungry. You will never be thirsty. You think, well, where, where, where's my feast? Where's my abundance? Where's, where's the hospitality for me? God gave you the best feast in the world when he gave you himself. His own broken blood, his own broken body and his own spilt blood for you and for me. Jesus is the table of God. Jesus is the welcoming hospitality that when you come into his presence, he welcomes you there, puts his arm around you, anoints your head with oil, and he's the one who keeps pouring that glass of wine. He keeps pouring and that cup overflows and it never ends. He, in fact, is that wine. Jesus is God's house forever. And Sylvia reminded us several weeks ago in her message Jesus has replaced the entire temple and everything in it. You're like, I, I want to I go deep into the temple with you, God. Jesus is that temple. Jesus is the lampstand. He's the showbread. He's the altar. Uh, uh, he's all the altars. He, he, is the, he, is, he is the ark. He is the mercy seat. Jesus is God's house forever. The worship team could come on up. We're going to respond now to this truth of who Jesus is by lifting up and praising Jesus who is God's loving kindness, who is God's salvation, who is God's bountiful dealing, who is God's good shepherd. He is God's right pathway through the shadow of death. He is God's hospitality. He is God's house forever. Almighty God, we choose to bow. We choose to bow before you alone. Though our enemies are great, though the darkness is great, though the challenges before us are great, we leave here resolving to bow before you. We leave here resolving to feast on the table you've laid before us in the presence of our enemies. We, we leave here vowing vowing to march forward through the valley of the shadow of death, knowing, choosing not to fear evil because you are with us. Even though our, we are crying out, how long, O Lord, we are choosing to bow, vowing before you today that we will trust in your loving kindness. We will rejoice in your salvation we will sing to you, for you have dealt bountifully with us. So now, with the bountiful dealings of God at your back, like a, like a wind in your sail, go out, proclaim his name, live a life of bowing before him in the, in the presence of all as a witness to him. Go with the power of the Holy Spirit, the authority 
of God the Father and the fellowship of Jesus himself. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.